0: Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Almost There, Lazy, a 90 Day Fiancé podcast. I am your host, Allison. Today, we'll be recapping Season 5, Episode 5 of 90 Day Fiancé, Happily Ever After. Uh, So yeah, we've made it to Episode 6. Who knows how many episodes of this this thing we're going to get. It's like, remember, like, back before streaming and everything regular like episodic drama tv shows comedies would have like 22 to 24 episodes and now that we're you know we've all become collectively snobs about tv like i'm thinking about breaking bad all of those shows now like a regular season of those shows is like 10 to 12 episodes whereas reality tv has just continued churning them out like i'm pretty sure all the real housewives series are 24 plus episodes I don't even know if that includes the reunion something like that and yeah TLC obviously is not going to give up on the 90 day fiance cash cow until the fans literally yelled please no more please give us something else so yeah I'm expecting I don't know another year left of this season we'll have to see uh yeah I live on East Coast, I'm in the Northeast. It's been hot as hell out here. Um, I feel a lot like Big Ed when he was in the Philippines, just sweating bullets and trying to get into the air con. I'm doing all right, though. Um, I don't have central air. I do have window units because of the age of my house. Uh, I'm still doing pretty okay, though. However, I did shut off my air conditioning to record. Not like I have any illusions about the sound quality of this podcast, but I did. Uh, My dog, on the other hand, he's a golden retriever. He's not enjoying this heat. Because not only is it really hot, it's extremely humid. Uh, This morning, I tried to take him on a walk after he had breakfast. And he just, like, literally gave up and dug his heels in when we were at the park around the corner. Which made a lot of people laugh. And, yeah, I understand how he feels. Like, golden retrievers were bred to basically I think catch ducks in the water for hunters in Scotland so their ideal weather is like a misty moor and he loves the winter on like a winter evening he will go and just lay his belly out on the patio and it's hard to get him inside while I'm like indoors under several blankets so I do feel sorry for him it's like also just cute though because his like the curly hair on his ears is is all frizzy So not the best hair day he's ever had, but he's hanging in. He's taking a nap right now uh, while I record this. As I said, I'm not going to be recapping the other way, at least not right now. But I do want to talk about this week's episode because finally Kenny arrived from his five-day drive to Mexico to see Armando and start their new life together. I just want to make some comments on it because, as we all saw... Like, I saw the Tyra gif going around a lot. Like, we were all rooting for you because Kenny, like, kind of had a meltdown on his first day in Mexico. He's a germaphobe. He didn't want to try and eat the food. He said that the candy looked like a blood clot. And people are worried that, you know, oh, shit, we were, like, rooting for these two. They're so cute. They seem really in love. And Kenny just seems like an ugly American right now, to use that phrase. I I have to defend Kenny a little bit. Despite his skin and his obviously impeccable skincare routine, Kenny is in his mid-50s. On top of that, he just drove for multiple days by himself in a car. Well, he wasn't by himself. He's with truffles. So I think he was just tired. I would also suspect that production was like, hey, guys, you're looking a little bit too perfect. Can you just please have some conflict so that we could have one episode that makes the people wonder whether this relationship's going to work out? I also saw today on Instagram, Armando posted a story that was like, hey, I wasn't offended. I actually think it's funny when Americans come here and they have strong reactions to our food. Not every food is for everybody. Like, it's really fine. Like, don't be upset on my behalf kind of thing. So, yeah, let's let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that this love story plays out that the way we all want it to for the rest of this season. That's all I have to say about The Other Way. Uh, I saw a ton of commercials this week for Darcy and Stacy's new show, which is coming out in August. Very excited about that, I guess. I still have trouble telling them apart. Maybe by the end of that, I'll be, I'll be able to distinguish the two Silva sisters from one another. Uh, so it, it should be good trash, because let's face it, we're all going to be in our homes for a long while, so... I kind of enjoyed it when they were on their quarantine episode, just seeing the way that those two exist when they can't go outside. So I don't know when they started filming this, but yeah, I'll definitely tune into that. And yeah, so now the five minutes are up. Let's actually get into the episode. Um, This week, I'm going to start with Kalani and Oswello. They only had one scene this episode, but I think I'm going to start here because we were all, I'm sure, waiting on bated breath to see if Oswello was still alive or if they in fact buried his body in the backyard at that Airbnb in Southern California. The good news is right away we see Oswello. He's sitting at his phone. Sorry, he's sitting at the table scrolling through his phone and it's just like perfect. Like he's, I think he's wearing like a hoodie even. He just looks like a sullen teenager. And he tells us, you know, they're back from Utah, from the trip, and he just feels like nobody wants to talk to me. But that's not the case, because then Kalani's father, Lo, walks in, and he invites Oswello to go walk the dog with him. So that requires a car trip. You could tell already that Oswello is pretty much shitting his pants. It looks like any scene you would see in, like, The Godfather, The Sopranos, when we're going to go take a ride, and, you know, there's two of us getting in this car, and only one is coming back. They take the dog, who, by the way, is like... She's probably a sweetheart. I think it's a guy, actually. A guy dog. Um, But it's like a big pit bull, which which tracks with low personality. So, yeah, they they arrive at this bridge, like a a scenic location, which... It reminded me a lot of that scene from season one of the sopranos i think it's season one spoiler alert when john heard the dad from home alone gets thrown off over the falls at patterson to his demise because he's working both sides of things so i don't know if Oswaldo um can really process the sopranos you know but i'm sure he's scared all the same as it turns out though he's not going to get the ass whooping that was promised to him Lo just really wants to talk to him and figure out what's going on here. I will say, like, judging from all of this, I don't necessarily agree with this approach or being this kind of like macho guy. But Low seems like he is really trying hard to understand Asuelo. And that makes me believe that he is also a good dad and a good husband, because he also mentions he wants to get out of the house and have this conversation so that it's not happening in front of Kalani and his wife. Uh, yes, yeah, so we don't see Kalani or her mother at all this episode or the kids. I like to think that TLC, after the way Asuelo treated her in California, treated them to like, a four-day trip to some expensive spa, all expenses paid as well as childcare, so that they could just decompress and be treated nicely. Lo asks Oswello, all right, you tell me your side of the story about what happened on that car ride and why I arrived to this trip with my wife and my daughter so upset with you. This whole thing, like Oswello's demeanor, the way that he is explaining his side of things just looks, sounds, and feels like a a kid who is trying to explain to the teacher why they didn't complete a project that they've known the due date for and that they've been reminded of every day for the past month. He's like, you know, he's kind of very nervous, but also like defensive in a way, like shuffling his feet almost. He tries to explain it that basically his mother-in-law, Lisa, was asking me a lot of questions and this is my side of things. And he just comes right out and says it because he's not creative enough to cover this up that he said that American women are lazy. Lowe is stoic as always, but still terrifying. And he is surprisingly understanding. He says, look, I know what kind of culture you come from. I'm also from Samoa. I understand that that's the way things are there. However, I have raised my children and I act toward my wife in a way that I want them to stand up for themselves. I want them to be respected and I don't want them to follow that culture, even though that's what we grew up with. is well, like, OK, I understand and I should not have said these things, but I have trouble because I am always thinking these things in Samoan in my head and then I feel like something's lost in translation in English. Which Lo is also very understanding about. And I can, un- I can totally understand how that's a ca- the case. Oswello's English still seemed pretty limited. Um, so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he has trouble fully expressing himself. However, I don't know how that boils down to you thinking something in Samoan and you calling your wife a lying bitch in front of her mother. Just saying. So, yeah, Lo's trying to lay it out to him as if he's disciplining one of the grandkids. He's like, did you like it when your parents fight? And Oswelo's like, no. Uh, As far as the birthday party goes, Lo just lays it out there. He's like, look, Oswelo, you screwed it all up. And on top of that, as the way I'm understanding it, you still haven't apologized to my daughter or to my wife. But mostly to my daughter, who you really, like, ruined everything for her. She was trying so hard to make a nice like a nice party for everybody to keep the peace and you can't even say you're sorry Oswello's like okay I know but I don't know how to do that um Oswello you could just say Kalani I'm sorry I'm sorry that I cursed at you I'm sorry that I wouldn't let production film me or put on my mic pack um I'm sorry I made you drive all around Orange County giving you false locate like where do I even begin I'm sorry for getting you pregnant twice and making you stuck with me (laughs) is that too far well I'm sure she's thought it too. So Lo says in his talking head that he really feels like he's given Oswello all the chances that he can. And it seems like he probably does give him a lot of support. This is another Samoan man who understands what it's like to suddenly be in America. And he's being, I think, much nicer to him than I would be. So he really needs Asuelo to make some changes. And finally, Asuelo agrees that he will say he is sorry to his wife. Which actually seems to be a theme for this episode because Libby, uh, spoiler alert, finally gets an I'm sorry out of Andre over in Moldova. Next, let's go on to Sinjin and Tanya as well. They only had like a really short segment. um, I think both because of the circumstances of their episode this week their storyline as well as uh unfortunately i'm guessing that tlc is saving up some paul and karini shit to throw at us next week which is just going to be depressing all the things that paul and karini bring up in me but yeah as it turns out like the last time we saw sinjin and tanya they were fighting at the restaurant you know about whether or not he's her soulmate uh he's not and where the future of their relationship is, whether or not they're both invested. However, that's all taking a back seat this week because Sinjin got some bad news from back home. It turns out on the way back from the restaurant that night, he got a call that his brother back in South Africa was in the hospital like in very serious condition. Luckily, his brother pulled through, but Sinjin calls him on FaceTime. It sounds like his brother had a knee injury that formed a blood clot, and the blood clot broke off and went into his lungs. So he had a pulmonary embolism. I think he said something about being in pain. So it sounds like he probably had very severe pain, which could often come with a pulmonary embolism. Went to the hospital and found out he had this enormous blood clot sitting in his lungs, which is very dangerous. It could be deadly because also it could have broken up. And gotten into his heart. Like, it's just very scary considering that his brother, whose name is Dylan, by the way, is only 25 years old. Sijin is very close with his brother and he's feeling very upset about this. Like, South Africa and Connecticut are, I think, at least like a 20 hour flight away during normal times. I know a couple who went to South Africa for their honeymoon last year and it was like an extremely long journey. So it's really putting into perspective for him. Sinjin is already really homesick, and he realized, you know, when you were sick, the first thing I wanted to do was run to the hospital and be with you, and there was just no way I could do that. And, you know, life can change in a heartbeat. I want to see you soon. This is too much. He also shares, which I'm not sure if he ever brought this up before, but a week or two after he came over on the K-1 visa before their marriage, his grandmother died. It sounds like it was pretty sudden and he couldn't go back to South Africa because of the terms of the K-1 visa. I don't think it's impossible to leave the country on a K-1, but you might have to like really jump through hoops to get it renewed, like on both sides again. So I think most of the time like when you're on the k-1 you are in it for the 90 days unless you just decide to run from your fiance and not marry them so he also carries a lot of guilt that he wasn't able to be with his family like a lot of grief still that he wasn't able to be there when his grandmother passed away obviously i 100 percent believe this is a real situation that came up with St. John's brother i will also point out though i have been suspecting for this whole season that every couple got some kind of budget to travel So some of them went through with it. Like, that's why Debbie went to Brazil, besides the fact that she's a maniac and so is Colt. But that is also why all of a sudden Oswelo and Kalani were going to go to Samoa. And I think they still would have if the measles outbreak hadn't been happening. So I wonder if Sinjin's brother hadn't had this injury, how they would have played this off with their trip to South Africa. And actually, I'm wondering if that's where they were going with his whole I'm so homesick plot before his brother got sick. Was that the way they were going to resolve this thing that Tanya's saying, you drink too much and blah, 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 would be that they would go to South Africa and catch up with his family and everything. Anyway, so then Sinjin goes to meet up with Tanya, who's coming back from physical therapy. I did notice that, like, they're showing a a nice scenic shot of their town. It kind of looks like Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls. But there's a really big obelisk in the middle of their town, which I had a lot of questions about. Um, so I'll have to—I don't know—if I care enough, I'll look up Wikipedia for Colchester, Connecticut, and figure out what that's all about. And I don't know—I talk a lot of shit about Tanya. I still think that she really showed her ass in her first season, but in this scene, she seems the most likable and just like m- the most normal person. I like to think it's the circumstances of what's going on with Sinjin's family. But he's basically like, "Hey, yeah, I talked to my brother," and she's like, "Oh, yeah, that's like really sad. I'm so glad he's okay." And Sinjin is saying he is very freaked out by the situation and he really wants to go back to South Africa. Immediately, she is so supportive. She says, yeah, if that were my family, I would have been at the airport that night. You should definitely go see him. Um, He does kind of float. He's like, can we afford it? I mean, TLC is paying and she doesn't even make an issue of it. They don't even create drama there. And then he asks if she would like to come with him to South Africa. And at first she's kind of surprised which surprised me. I mean, this is your wife. I'm sure she met his family while she was over there in South Africa. But as far as I know, I don't think any of his family made it to the wedding. I believe there were some South African friends who already live in the States who came to the wedding. But it's almost like, to me, it's like almost like a Libyan and situation. Like, go see the family again. Um, but anyway, I, I could also see where it's like, yeah, South Africa is not an easy jaunt, especially with her broken foot and ankle. So uh, anyway i don't know where they left this she's kind of going back and forth like she is um pleasantly flattered that he wants her to go to south africa but she's also like well we've been having all these problems we don't know if we should be married and i don't think you're my soulmate so maybe you should just go by yourself and we really figure this thing out on our own and use that time apart uh, from one another to figure out what we want here Which, I mean, if I were in any relationship, let alone a marriage, if that's what my spouse or partner said to me, I would be, like, pooping my pants. But that's just me. On the other hand, in her talking head, that's what Tanya says, that she's afraid that Sinjin will go back to South Africa and reconsider in such a way that takes him away from her. So that's where we leave him. I hope everything's okay with his brother, and I am excited to see his family back in South Africa. So it's raining pretty violently here right now. I'm wearing noise-canceling headphones. Not sure if y'all can hear that. Sorry if you can. Like I said, I cannot vouch for the sound quality of this podcast at this point. I'm pretty much talking to the void. I don't think anyone's really listening to me. Hopefully soon. But anyway. All right. This week, I'm going to start Colt and Larissa's segment with Larissa because, quite honestly, not much happens with her. First, she goes to visit her criminal attorney, Adam, who's handling all of her domestic violence arrests and her probation status. It sounds like he's also doing some work to help her with um, her green card and just keep her out of trouble. So uh, as we saw, she's done being a janitor, she's done cleaning up poopy, and so she has also taken some classes in anger management, and that was all part of the, it sounds like a plea deal she took in terms of her three domestic violence arrests from her marriage with Colt. She goes and waits in the waiting room for her lawyer. It kind of looks like a dentist office. Or maybe this is dentists I know, because he has this neon sign calling himself the DUI doctor. Shocking that a lawyer who calls himself a DUI doctor would want to be on TV. Very shocking to me. So she goes to see this lawyer. I mean, I have to say, he seems pretty personable. He's he's not not cute. I, I don't think I would date somebody who calls himself the DUI doctor. He's married anyway. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, he seems to know what he's doing. I could see why you would hire him. You know, he's there for her, supporting her. She says something to the effect of like, he's a magician. (laughs) I don't think that's the word she used, but basically like he really did help her out and gave her good advice, all of that. So yeah, he tells her that they're getting really close to the end date for the probation period for her domestic violence arrest. And he asks her about her future plans. And, like, immediately she gets kind of flirty, but I think it's because she's feeling a little, like, insecure about this. And she mentions that her brothers in Brazil are lawyers, and her dream would actually be to be a lawyer. Um, She knows she really can't do that, but she would love to work in immigration, something like that. Like, maybe something like an assistant. And then she, like, gets kind of, like, weirdly flirty, and she's like, oh, maybe I could work for you. But as she points out in her talking head, she's like, I don't think Adam's wifey would like that, Um, I'm assuming because... She's very flirty, but she also points out that she would just be a really shitty employee. She doesn't pay attention to anything, and it's just like disorganized, which is kind of funny. Look, like, look, Larissa is not a great person. She left her kids behind in Brazil for whatever reason. She has these domestic violence arrests, which I'll keep my opinions on those to myself. Um, I think you can get where I'm going with that with Colty and Mother Debbie. But I'm really enjoying her this season. I think it's just because I'm not sick of her. Colt, I am so sick of. It's, it's the way that like I'm sick of somebody like Paula and Russ. Larissa, I'm enjoying this advent of her life. I think her face, as plastic as it is, looks really great. And I think she's funny. I think she's good TV at this point. That being said, I think she's very close to teetering on the edge of jumping the shark. Like most of the people on the show do at some point or another. So I think she's getting there, but I'm not hating this. I I almost wish it was just Larissa and not Colt this season because he's really grossing me out. And I wish that both of them got really limited screen time, like maybe every other episode. Anyway, the lawyer asks about her situation with her ex, Eric, as it turns out, like last week she was apologizing to Eric when they got back together about having to file a restraining order against him, or I think she's an order of protection, it's probably what it's called in Nevada, because all those women were calling her up, calling her cheese butt when they broke up and she assumed it was about him. As it turns out, Eric is, sorry, her lawyer Adam is the one who was really gunning for this because, as he points out she already has three domestic violence arrests and pretty much anything that gets in her legal record during this period, any arrest, anything that happens when she's trying to get this green card and stay in the U S can lead to a deportation. So he recommended just get this order of protection to protect yourself and just stay away from him. So he's not really happy to hear that they're kind of back together because the window to the case getting closed is really close. However, if anything happens there, It'll just really throw a wrenchy in things. And Larissa might get some back to Brazil. Next, she gets ready and she goes to see Eric. Um, she wants to talk about where the relationship is going. I truly don't know what's going on with this guy. He's not bad looking. I think he's kind of sleazy seeming. I just, not like Larissa's not a great catch. I just think that those women on the first episode, first and second episode of this season, the American women are Right. Like, who I picture Larissa with is, like, an ugly rich guy in his 60s or 70s who just wants someone who's his arm candy, basically. I don't really know what he's going for with her. I'm also kind of suspicious of him. I don't want him fucking up her life either. Anyway, she blows him a kiss across the table and tells him that her probation is ending soon. He is uh, nervous about cult. Because for some reason, he actually sees Colt as a sexual threat. But she assures him that Colt is out of her life forever and ever. And now that that has happened, she is feeling freer than ever. She is feeling free. In fact, she is feeling like as free as a duck in the snow. If there is ever a Larissaism, which I know right now, like the the leading one is whoever is against the queen shall die. But free as a duck in the snow is just chef's kiss peak Larissa I love it who even knows what that means did she read the catcher in the rye and she's thinking about the ducks in the pond at Central Park in the winter I don't know who knows who knows anything that comes out of Larissa's mouth but it was great so from that she launches into asking Eric let's like let's play a fun game let's both talk about the things that we didn't like in our relationship before that that won't end badly at all So he says that the last time they were together, they were just together too much. And he thinks they should spend more time apart, have, you know, alone time as well. And she says what she didn't like was that he was a little bit cheapy. And now that they're back together, it is time to let the money flow. (laughs) Which is great. I I love that from her. I love that for her. And he's like, well, yeah, what am I going to spend my money on? She's like, uh, my boobies. I mean... Didn't she already get her boobies done? They look all right for boobies. Does she need them done again? A lot of questions. She follows it up. And this is actually kind of sweet. I feel I I do feel bad for Larissa. She says what she really likes about Eric is that he accepts her for the way that she is. Which I I think we all want that in life. I want that for her. And then she asks him, this is the major question. Does he love her enough to have a cat with her? And everybody, he says yes. He says yes to the cat. I'm sure Colt was watching that, just like squeezing his hands and like angry little fists. How dare she want a kitty cat when she left these kitty cats behind with me and Mother Debbie? I don't even care where they came from, but still. However, things are not all ideal in this rekindled relationship. As we know, Larissa is living with her friend Carmen from Brazil. It's still not clear to me whether they knew each other before. Anyway, this really nice woman has let her live with her since she divorced Colt. And Carmen does not like Eric. So Larissa says, this is because because she's my friend, Carmen hears all the bad shit that happened before and she just thinks that you're bad news. She knows all the drama. She doesn't know the good parts. And if she finds out that we're back together, she's going to have a problem with it. Eric is kind of like, well, we're back together now. It's really time to tell Carmen. So Larissa is listening. She's nodding along. She's eating some French fries with a fork, which is much classier than something I would do. And they leave it with him paying the bill. So it looks like he is not going to be cheapy anymore. He is going to pay for her appies. I love that for her. However, if Larissa is going to make this love story work, she does have to tell Carmen. So later at home, she sits down on the couch with Carmen. Um, I did notice there were wedding pictures on the side table that were blurred out, which makes me wonder, one, is Carmen married? If so, like, where's her husband? Um... Does he just not want to be on the show? If she is married, is she a K-1 bride? I don't mean to stereotype, but like, is that how they know each other? Because I suspect that there is some kind of a internet connection between all of these Brazilian women in the U.S., which is how Jess and uh, Larissa got in touch with one another. Um, If she's not married, is that her child? I want to hear more about Carmen. I, you know, because I kind of think Carmen's awesome. I do want to see her interior life a little bit more on this show. So there is an awkward silence after which Larissa drops the bomb that she is talking to Eric again and they are in fact back together. Carmen is immediately very upset. She says that, you know, this is just trouble last time and you don't think straight when you're in any relationship. She said women should have dignity and you should never beg for a man to come back to you. Which is actually a pretty good life lesson. This is why I'm saying I like Carmen. They argue over whether or not Larissa even needs a man, because Carmen's like, "You don't need Ben for anything. Just like live your own life." And Larissa's like, "But I am lonely, and I want hugs, and all of this. Blah 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 blah." And so that's where they that's where they're standing with that, the two of them. And she goes on and on about how Eric accepts her for who she is, and she he doesn't care about her three arrests. And Carmen brings up the point that multiple people are trying to make Larissa. Which is that if she gets back with Eric, she has to trust him 100%. Because any little thing, if she throws, like, the garbage from her eyelash extensions out into the street, that could be deportation for Larissa. She has to be so careful. She is so close to the green card. And if they call the police for anything, you're going to go back to Brazil and you'll have to raise your children. Carmen says, look, I'm the one who's here for you. When you had no place to live, I let you give have a place to live. Every time you need to be bailed out, I bailed you out. But now this, I can't deal with this. You basically fucking up your immigration status over this guy. So I need you to move out by the end of the weekend. Then Larissa, in a very relatable moment, goes outside, sits on the ground and says, fuck her life because she doesn't know what to do now. Unfortunately, now I have to talk about Colt and Debbie and everything going down in Brazil. So as we left Debbie, she just left the U.S. for the first time in her life. She was traveling on a plane for 16 hours, plus all the time it took them to, you know, board their plane, get on the plane, get their luggage, go through immigration, all of that. And so she was just tired as fuck. And they got to the hotel for some sick reason. Colt booked one room for his mother and his girlfriend that, that just basically had a pocket door between them. While Debbie was trying to lay down and just rest her eyes after being exhausted from traveling, Jess was standing next to her bed, poking her arm, basically, saying, get up and talk to me. And then Jess acted totally shocked when Debbie just lost her mind and slammed the door and said, I need to get some sleep right now or I need to go to the hospital. So that's where we leave these two assholes. They, um, so... Luckily, Colt informs us that he decided to get another hotel room for him and Jess so that Debbie can have her privacy. Yeah, Colt, that's what you should have done to begin with. Except if you had done that, then you couldn't make your mother believe that it was her problem, that she was upset about sharing a hotel room with her large adult son who's trying to have sex with this young woman. I just hate this guy. Anyway. So they get to this restaurant and they order the french fries special and they down a couple of beers. Jess is going on and on about having to share a hotel room with Debbie before they got the other one. And she makes some, I can only call them like monkey noises to imitate the way that she sounds during sex. And thank God they won't have to make Debbie listen to that. She then complains that Debbie was so mean to her when she was bothering her when she was trying to take a nap. Colt, to his defense, was trying to say that she was just tired, but Jess cannot get over it. She's going on and on about how Debbie slammed the door when she was bothering her. I'm so, I, I keep saying it over and over. I just like cannot believe. I can't imagine being tired after a long flight like that and having this annoying-ass woman bothering me to get up and just go on with my day. Not to mention, I said it last week jess was very rude to debbie i feel as far as we saw at the airport in the car she was just kind of staring at her and not trying to engage her in any conversation so i understand on top of being just jet-lagged whatever being 69 years old why debbie was kind of over it from the start so then jess is going on and on about why debbie came jess i can tell you why it's because tlc is paying for her trip they want the drama But as Colt explains it, it's because his mother is overprotective, um, especially after what happened with Larissa. And she doesn't want a repeat of that situation for her baby Colty. So she responds by calling Colty a baby man, which was pretty great. And he gets kind of upset about this. And in order to, like, you know, twist twist the knife in a little further into his new girlfriend, he brings up the fact that they can bond over the fact that they both have dead parents. Yeah, Colt, that's really a turn-on. That's really something that this woman wants to hear about. So then Jess has to talk about it. That her mother passed away from cancer and Colt's father died from a heart attack. So that is their common bond. Let's bring up this poor woman's trauma to gaslight her even further. So he's like, Yeah, you know, I didn't expect to take care of my mother, but that's what I have to do. And you and I can both relate to the fact that we have to do anything for the parent that we still have here on earth. And, you know, maybe my mother's not the best person, but she's my person. As an aside, look, I loved Grey's Anatomy so much when I was in high school. I watched the first probably two or three seasons and powered through the fourth before giving up. I do love the phrase, he she is my person in the context of Grey's Anatomy with Christina and Meredith I just I'm so tired of it at this point it's just so overplayed can we like can we ban it for a few years and see if it still strikes a chord when it comes back I'm just tired of hearing about this Anyway, as it turns out, they're going to have Jess's family meet Colt and Debbie at a family barbecue, um, which sounds delicious, despite the company. And Jess is like, look, I just need to get Debbie and you drunk for this all to work out, which and Colt's like, well, yeah, my mother likes drinking. So do I. And then she's like, oh, and now that we have the hotel room, you and I can have sex all night. Um, These two just drank a fuck ton of beer and ate some french fries so I would love to know no I would not love to know I'm just saying they're not going to do anything more when they get back to the hotel than rub their sore bellies and fart they walk away from the restaurant hand in hand and Colt's booty is just popping out of those khakis the next morning Colt goes over to Debbie's hotel room to check on her and she is having breakfast on the balcony He claims, again, I guess in his talking head, that she kicked them out of the room when they arrived, which is not the case. She just wanted a fucking nap, Colt. Debbie's out there eating breakfast, looks like room service, and she literally spoon feeds Colt from her fork. So if there was ever a better representation of what's going on with these two this season, that would be it. Like, the only thing more predictable would be if she chewed up the food and held her mouth open for him to peck it out of her like a baby bird or something. (laughs) Debbie tells Colt that he should probably text Vanessa who's taking care of their cats back home and check on all the kitty cats which I sense foreshadowing. I think that uh these texts with Vanessa might be coming up later this season. So then they talk about what happened with Jess the day before and Debbie is just thankful that jess and colt are not having sex right next door to her in their hotel room colt straight up asks his mother if he has a problem with jess she's like no i just got upset when she was talking about marriage and all the kids names in the car and colt is like well yeah i've known her for a while though i've probably known her longer than i knew larissa when we got married which is not hard because he and larissa knew each other for like a hot minute before they got the k1 and got married Debbie just feels like it's too soon to talk about the kids and be naming them. And also, she is just afraid that this woman is going to come to the U.S., use Colty to marry him, and have babies and become a citizen of the United States. Um, If Debbie is not sitting at home in Las Vegas with her slot machine watching Fox News all day every day, if Debbie does not own a MAGA hat, if Debbie has never chanted, build that wall... I would be, I would just drop dead of surprise. Like everything of, everything just smacks of xenophobia, like Trumpism, Trump era xenophobia with her. Like who cares? Who cares if that's what she's trying to do? Like he's a grown ass man. He was apparently smart enough to be gainfully employed at some point. Who cares if that's what this woman wants? Marriages are transactions. Whether you're like Larissa and looking for love or, whether you're looking for a green card from a man baby. That's what a marriage is. And he's also grown enough to make his own decisions. At Colt's suggestion, Debbie and Jess meet up for at the beachside. Jess is sitting at like a nice little like umbrella with two seat situation. And off the bat, Jess is like, I think you're mad at me. And Debbie's like, no, I just don't think my 34 year old son is ready for a relationship, let alone from a woman from Brazil. She's looking, she's on the lookout. She came on this trip, not just because TLC footed the bill, but because she is suspicious of Jess's ulterior motives. She does apologize, which is something I hope Oswelo was taking notes when he watched this back. Debbie says she's sorry, but she was just very tired when she got there. Jess is worried that when they have the family barbecue, whenever that's going to be in this timeline, that Debbie will be unfriendly to her family. Debbie is like well you know what before he met you I never heard heard Colt talking about children before and that worries me and Jess is like well he talks about it all the time with me and this is Debbie like the red alert is just going off in her head how dare my son want to have children with a woman that he has a relationship with Debbie asks Jess about her immigration status in the U.S., and Jess explains that she is on the J-1 visa for being an au pair, and it does expire in six months. After that, Debbie keeps pressing it, like, what are your plans after that? And Jess is like, I don't know, maybe we'll settle in Brazil. Like, she's given as hard as she gets to, to Mother Debbie. And she's like, I don't know, or, or we could get married in the U.S., which you could just see, like, the steam is coming out of Debbie's ears. Not another Brazilian daughter-in-law. Um, so Jess is trying to defend herself to Debbie as we see but privately she is still very nervous about that phone call that came from Larissa warning her about Debbie and she is starting to see that Larissa may have been right Debbie on the other hand shares with us that she is terrified of Colt not being in her life like let's get to the root of that like let's get a real shrink on these reunions like uh, real shrink in air quotes someone like a, a Dr. Drew who I hate but just someone to help her unpack this. Maybe not Dr. Drew. Maybe like those shrinks or reverends who are unmarried at first sight who could help her unpack some of these issues and be like, Debbie, is it really that you were widowed unexpectedly and now you are afraid of losing the closest family member you have? Anyway, so basically Debbie and Jess are negotiating custody of their man-child cult, trying to decide who's going to have him on weekends will we do every other Christmas, like who's going to have Mother's Day, that kind of thing. And yeah, they're just using Colty as a pawn, which I don't hate because I hate Colty, but it is sick in all directions. Next, let's go to Angela. I've realized that I've been doing Angela last for all of my episodes so far. I really just do enjoy Angela. I think she's very camera aware. However, This week, I think it makes sense to end with Libby and Andre because they definitely had the most dramatic and interesting story for whatever it is, which was bad for Libby. Anyway, so last week, we saw Angela finally arrived in Nigeria to get married to Michael. They wake up in their apartment and her giant bras that I hope she bought from Molly are like hanging over the edge of this bed frame, which is funny to me. Michael is also wearing these blue pajamas with like white piping, which I'm pretty sure I have... Almost an identical pair from Target, from the Stars Above brand. So that also tickled me a little bit. And Angela is very stressed because they have to plan this wedding, or she really has to plan this wedding to happen in Nigeria in just a few weeks. But she is very excited to show Michael the two suits that she bought him for the weddings. Um, I was—I looked up, I don't know, I wasn't looking for this on purpose, but I saw something about Nigerian weddings actually on Am I the asshole on Reddit yesterday? And it sounds like you really have two ceremonies when you're marrying an American. So in one, you were a traditional Nigerian outfit and the other you would wear like your typical Western tux and white dress. So anyway, she got Michael these two suits, as we saw with her sissy, and he is like, over the moon about getting these suits. He said he hasn't had a suit in five years, something like that. It sounds like what I'm getting reading between the lines is that suits are extremely expensive in Nigeria and he is like dancing. He's so happy about these. So she bought him a white one um, as well as a purple one that has like a really loud vest with it. So, you know, I guess there's a customer for every product because... He loves it. I have to say, like, these outfits look a lot more fun than the shit we wear for American weddings. Um, excited to see him all done up in his nice suit. I am wondering, like, did he measure himself and send her the numbers? Are they getting them tailored in Nigeria? Stuff that is boring to see on TV, but is a real-life problem for people getting married. So anyway, she goes to get dressed. She jokes with him that she'll be writing an hour. And Michael wants to take her to meet some expatriates who are living in Nigeria, who are dual citizens. Um, I guess the idea here is that he wants Angela to consider living with him in Nigeria while they await the visa for him to come to the U.S., which, like, Michael, are you crazy? There is no way Angela could live in Nigeria. Most of her family depends on her financially for care or something like that. And she says as much when he brings this up to her. She takes care of her grandkids after school every day. I believe she has custody of some of them. And on top of that, her mother is still alive. Her mother is pretty much bedridden in her living room and she needs Angela to take care of her. To the point that Angela almost didn't come on this trip because she was so worried about her mother. So she's pissed off. She's like smoking a cigarette out the window. She's like, why would I care about what people live in the States think about living in the States? I live there. It's my life. I don't care what they think about my life. And she is rocking, by the way, some really nice hexagonal sunglasses, which I don't think I've seen on her before. She likes a loud outfit, but I haven't seen these kind of sunglasses before. And I mean, this isn't great, what she says, but I do think she took care to say this as respectfully as possible, where she says to Michael, look, I come here and I am open to your culture. I love to visit here, but I was raised in America and that is the quality standard of life, I guess, that I'm used to. That is the custom that I'm used to. I want hot water. I want to live an American life not to mention all of the people who depend on me to exist in the united states so they get to this meeting it's supposed to be his male friend and like three of these expatriate friends who by the way have been on the show before so angela has seen this shit however the guy is not there because he's back in atlanta where he lives part of the time angela i don't know what was going on today i think. When we get the phone call later about her mother, I think she suspected already or she knew already that something was wrong back home because she's just not having it today. She sits down for maybe 30 seconds and then she's just like, nope, you know what? I'm not doing this. That's a wrap. She shakes the women's hand and gets in the car and just starts shouting at the top of her lungs at Michael, but not before she lights a cigarette, of course. So they get in the car and Michael's like, all right, all right, we'll just go back to the apartment She's just screaming at him, like, how dare he socialize with these women? He lied to her and told her that it was a man, and now it turns out that he was hanging out in a bar with all these women, who I would guess that they're all probably married to an American, or vice versa, they're women who are married to a Nigerian man, and that's why they're doing the expatriate thing, like, calm the fuck down, Angela, but they can't tell me what my life is like in America and what did he expect she won't even let him follow women on instagram and what she's going to let him sit at a bar with them and michael is very adamant he's trying to explain over her screaming um through the cigarette smoke that the male friend dawa is the leader of this group he's just not there today he's the one who introduced him to all these women and it's really harmless which i do totally trust But this fight gets interrupted because Angela's daughter, Skyla, calls her from America and she's like, look, grandma has lost her mind. She's completely lost her sense of reality. Right away, Angela's nodding like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, I know exactly what's going on because Angela is her mother's primary caregiver. Even before her mother got sick, um, Angela was some kind of hospice nurse or nursing home uh, caregiver, something like that. So she knows exactly what the situation is. It's obviously, like, a very confused story, but it sounds like her mother got distressed in the middle of the night and ripped out her oxygen tube, which made her kind of lapse into this state where she didn't really know what was going on, which Angela is also, like, right on top of. Like, she suspected that's what happened. And she's like, yeah, Skyla, like, that's how grandma gets sometimes. Like, you know, that black spot on her chin? I tried. It's cancer. And I tried to get her to have it removed. And she told me that the cat scratched her just really sad. She tells Skyla to take Grandma to the doctor, like make sure the oxygen's okay, all of that. After she hangs up, she just really doesn't have the energy to perpetuate this fake fight that she and Michael are having over these women. Michael is so nice. He is understands that Angela has so much stress, and he very kindly says to her, "I'm also worried about your mother. I'm very sorry that's going on," and. Because she's calmed down a little bit, she actually allows him to get a word in edgewise and try to explain the situation with the women at the bar. Angela then points out in this talking head that the point of this whole relationship, sorry, the point of this entire trip where she's coming right now is not only to get married to Michael, but for him to prove that he can be her husband. And you know what? He's just not not uh, up to snuff right now, hanging out with women and socializing with them and not averting his eyes whenever he sees somebody with two X chromosomes. All right, finally, let's get to Libby and Andre. There's a lot to say about this this week. Andre really sucks. But what I also want to ask is, is there no heat in Moldova? Because these two are walking around in their goddamn winter coats in and out of buildings everywhere they go. I am not, uh, I don't like, okay, I live in the northeast, so I have to wear a coat in the winter, obviously. But as soon as I'm indoors, I'm taking that damn coat off. I just don't like the feeling of being in like a constricting coat. I think coats are dirty because they've been outside, they've been everywhere. If you're like, riding the subway or whatever your coat is touching everything like you don't want to trail that everywhere just reminds me of like george costanza how he wore the same fucking red parka for most of the seasons of seinfeld something like that but i i digress because andre really sucked this episode i don't know what is stuck up his ass is this the real andre he was just so mean to libby i felt terrible for her um you know she just sat there and took it while he just showed his ass left and right to America. So since he didn't plan anything for the wedding that they're going to have very shortly in Moldova with his family and friends in Moldova, as well as a handful of Libby's relatives flying in from Florida, they have to go run around now and plan everything, which includes visiting these reception halls. So his father is in the back seat taking care of Eleanor again, which I just want to point out. All of the Moldovans are giving Andre all this shit for being a homestay dad and not working, which fair enough. It sounds like that's very unique in Moldovan culture. Men are supposed to work, whatever. However, his father is like doting on this baby left and right. It's very sweet to see every scene that his father is with the baby. He's holding her. He's cooing at her, talking to her, like very gently reading her books so it makes me wonder like maybe Andre's father was also very hands on, and like that's just the way his family was, and so now he's gonna do that too. I don't know, I just like to see it. I like to see babies being taken care of properly, and I like to see men not being jerks about, you know, being the man of the house while they don't go to work every day. So I also regret to inform all of you that Libby's flashy lipstick is back. I don't, she's a good looking woman. It's not that her lipstick looks bad. It's just often very bright and very a lot. I think she looks really great when she's uh, more muted. Like, for example, later in the episode, as I'll talk about when she had her baptism, when she wasn't allowed to wear any makeup. I like a natural look on her. So they get out of the car to look at the first reception hall. And Andre's dad is going to stay in there with Eleanor. And Libby is like, oh, yeah, yeah, just make." Sorry, my dog is scratching something. I'm not farting. <laughs> That's what that sound is. So Libby wants to lock the doors to make sure the baby is safe, as one does. And Andre is snapping at her, telling her that she's OCD for wanting to lock the car. All right. So that sets the tone for this first visit which looks like it's in the morning. I don't think they've eaten anything at all. And they're visiting a reception hall that is a casino by night. And oh man, does it look it. They go to see it. Libby is already kind of nervous because the decor is like pretty outdated. She, it doesn't sound like she doesn't like it. What she's worried about is that her family is going to judge the shit out of her. And this is where I really feel bad for Libby in all of this. I think she is constantly caught in the middle of trying to please both sides. She has her asshole Trump family who thinks America's number one, thinks that Andre is the worst person ever and that he's not good enough for her, blah, blah, blah. And on the other hand, she has Andre who is no fan of her family thinks that they're too much in their life. It's like two very conflicting sides who are just not going to get along. And she's, she's so sweet and just trying to get everybody to get along and it just sounds exhausting. So she's also very worried about the food situation because she feels like her family is not going to like anything that's offered in Moldova. And to be fair, at this particular reception hall, they can't offer them any food samples. They can just show them these pictures that look like, I don't know, like pictures on like a Chinese food menu. And they have to pick somehow from that. And Andrea's like, I don't give a shit what they think. If they don't like it. They can go around the corner and get McDonald's. She's like, well, yeah, but if they don't like the food, like, could you make them something like fried chicken or a cheeseburger? And he's like, who would eat that at a wedding? Which I actually agree. She's like, uh, Americans. Um, Look, I think if you are visiting another country, experiencing another culture, as long as it fits your own dietary needs, whatever restrictions or, you know, preferences you don't like, for example... I am a person – I'm not a picky eater by any means. I cannot tolerate the taste of cucumbers or the smell of cucumbers. I truly cannot help it. My mother has the same problem, and she's also not a picky eater, as does one of my sisters. It's honestly, like, we all think it's a hereditary thing. It's almost like how some people genetically are averse to cilantro. So, like, yeah. So, anyway, what I'm getting at is if her family is coming to Moldova and keeping an open mind about this culture – How fucking bad can this food be? Just eat the food and don't complain. You're on a a once-in-a-lifetime trip where a Moldovan family is showing you the way that they do things. You're experiencing a Moldovan wedding. And most of all, you are putting on a happy face for Libby, who is a family member who you allegedly love. So they can try a little harder to eat a fucking plate of food that's catered for them and given to them at a wedding. All right. So then they go outside. They're both pissed off. And Andre tries to make Libby believe because she's just hangry, which I think pisses her off already. I would hate to hear that. It's like it's like calling a woman emotional, you know, something like that. I think they were both hungry, but I don't think she was the only one because he is in a far pissier mood than her. So she's talking to the camera and she's saying, yeah, you know, this reception hall is not what I was expecting. I don't think my family is going to like it. And he's just interrupting her left and right. And she's finally like, um, can you stop interrupting me? And he calls her, I'm guessing from the amount of asterisks I saw on the screen, he calls her a fucking annoying shit. So she's like, um, all right. Do you just want me to be quiet then and not speak and not give my opinion about anything? And she gets very frustrated and just walks away. Like I'm kind of clapping for her. Like Libby, just just keep walking. Go get Eleanor and leave. And Andre is just still being an asshole. He kind of laughs and is just like, "Oh, come back, come back." I, does not understand what he did wrong in this situation. Does not feel remorseful at all. So then he does go after her, and instead of being like, "Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you," he tells her not to be a brat. And she tells us in our talking head that she's like, I don't know what's up. He's just been different than the way since we arrived in Moldova, which I think is true and not true. As she said to her sister-in-law last week, Andre is rude and he does interrupt, but it also seems like it's jacked up to 11 since he got to Moldova. Is it because he's stressed about visiting home, a place that he's very homesick for, Is it because everyone's making fun of him for being a homestay dad and living off his wife, who in turn lives off her father? I don't know. But there is something up his butt. He has a bee in his bonnet about something ever since they touched down in Moldova. He gets defensive and he's like, you're just a magnet for bad. Meanwhile, um, his dad is still in the backseat taking care of Eleanor, and he informs us that she needs to step off her high horse so that her dad doesn't see her behavior. Libby does agree she's like I don't like to fight in front of my baby first of all I don't want her to hear that and also my father-in-law doesn't understand English so if we're just yelling at each other that's all he sees he can't even hear the context of like what we're fighting about the good news is the next reception hall is really nice um There's like a really fun looking like flashy disco floor for the dance part of the thing. It's like open to like a courtyard. Everything is just a lot newer looking and Libby is immediately much happier. So at this place, they are able to offer them some samples of the food and Libby eats something without really knowing what it is. And Andre tells her exactly what is in her mouth. To her defense, once again, Libby has pointed out, she's like, I have no problem eating food in Eastern Europe. I've eaten it before. I like it. It's my family that I'm worried about. But anyway, even though it's the back of a pork's head or whatever the fuck, she's happy with it. And she's like, yeah, this is definitely the place. The food is good. It should be acceptable. Everything. So she asks for the price and Andre, the jerk, comes out again. He's like, what do you care? Your dad is going to pay for it Anyway. But they do get a quote anyway. They're expecting about 60 guests, which will be 5400 uh, in American dollars, I think. Which obviously is very expensive. But compared to, you know, an American wedding, that's likely a bargain. Um, so then she, yeah, she's just telling the camera that she is very happy with this place. She thinks her family will like it. Andre does interrupt her, but he catches himself and says he's sorry. And she has a really cute, funny moment where she's like, did you just say sorry? So I like to see that. They got some food in their stomach. They made up for a temporary time. Later, they go for a walk with the baby and Andre's parents. And they go to see, like, the park that Andre used to play in and everything. I mean, it's not America. This is a former Soviet country. So, you know, it's, like, rundown, whatever. And Libby is saying she's worried about germs i did have a moment where i wondered if libby is an anti-vaxxer i you know she's not like Paula out there being anti-vax and anti-mask and all of that but i wouldn't be surprised if she is however on the other hand libby seems worlds above her family in terms of intelligence i can definitely see her karen sisters being anti-vax but libby not being an anti-vaxxer i also wonder like what are the rules about traveling internationally with vaccines i don't know anyway so she's like yeah everything's so old here in moldova but um and andre's mom wants to know she thinks her family will like it in moldova and instead of just being nice and being like oh yes of course they can't wait to meet you and see all of this she's like everything's modern and fancy in tampa florida and everything here is old um, Libby takes several seats. Tampa, Florida. It's fucking tacky, I'm sorry. Like her family's life in, in Florida. I don't mean to put all you in a box. I'm from I'm from New Jersey, so I understand how Floridians feel about being typecast in that way, but her family lives in like fucking cardboard big mansions with a bunch of tacky shit. I don't want to hear how it's nicer than Moldova. So his mom obviously is kind of defensive and she's like, "Yeah, but, you know, We may have older stuff here, but we all have a really strong sense of country pride. We all really love our country, which I thought was nice. So the important thing here is that Libby can understand Moldovan pretty well. Um, I have to give her credit for that again. I can't say that enough. She's speaking Moldovan like basically basic stuff here and there. Um, she's really trying to speak the language and communicate with her in-laws and the other people in Moldova who don't speak English. And as is typical, when you're learning a language, she seems to understand a lot more than she could actually say. So for a lot of this conversation, both of Andre's parents don't have like, if they speak any English at all, they're not doing it on TV. So he's translating what she says. So she brings up to Andre that they wouldn't be in this stupid situation of rushing to plan the wedding if he had not put them in this situation where he didn't plan anything ahead of the trip. And so she's getting kind of mad at him. And she's like, did you tell your parents what you did? And so he explains in Moldovan and according to the translation, he says that she told him that he did not purpose to not plan anything to upset her family. And she's immediately mad. She's like, are you translating that properly? Which I suspect that she understood enough of what he said to know that he did not say the right words. Because his parents like seem kind of mad at her that she's trying to make Andre out to be the bad guy when that's not what she said at all. And Andre snaps at her that she if, if she's upset about his translation, then she needs to learn Romanian so that she can communicate properly with them. And I just don't think this is fair. Um, Romanian is not, for an American, has to be really hard to learn. It's not like learning Spanish where you probably took a lot of it in high school, maybe even college, where you are exposed to it constantly. All she's probably really hearing besides taking like classes and, you know, doing Rosetta Stone or or whatever is Andre at home or talking on FaceTime, Andre talking to the baby. So I think she's doing very well better than most people on this show do with communicating with their spouse who doesn't speak English as their first language the other person who I think does a really good job of this actually is Chantal trying to speak to Pedro like she tries to speak Spanish she has been trying you know anyway I think it's surprising ish that more couples don't try to learn the language of their fiance slash spouse The next day or something like it, um Andre, his brother, his sister-in-law, and Libby all go out in the car without the baby because Libby is going to go get baptized into the Orthodox Church. It seems like she has not been prepared by anybody around her, nor has she done any research herself of what she's gonna get into. Her sister-in-law puts a headscarf onto her. Libby has to wear all white for this baptism, as well as, like, no makeup. And she also has to wear slippers, which will be important later. Meanwhile, the men can just wear their fucking coats. And her sister-in-law is wearing a Burberry scarf to go into this church. And right away, Libby makes a big deal about how the men don't have to wear a scarf. Which, like, look, I get it. But this is not a Moldova-only thing. This is a thing in a lot of... Western religions as well as Eastern religions, it sucks, but it's just how it is. So they go in and they start the ceremony. Um, I'm bringing up George Costanza once again, because as many people have pointed out online, it's a lot like when he became Lithuanian Orthodox to be with a woman on Seinfeld. But also because they're all still wearing their fucking coats. Even though she has to be wearing this like pure white dress, she's wearing a black puffer jacket. So the minister is doing this whole ceremony in Romanian, asking her all kinds of godfather-esque questions like, do you reject Satan? And she's really just following along. Like, every time they have to turn around and face the sunset or she has to breathe out three times, she has no fucking clue. She's just taking cues from the people around her or Andre is quickly translating for her. At one point, when she's facing the priest, he, like, literally takes locks of her hair and cuts them, (laughs) which, like... That's a lot to ask of a woman right before she's getting married again. Finally, Andre takes her coat off. She steps out of her slippies and she steps into this bucket of water. And the priest uh, puts water on her head from that bucket and then places like, honestly, like a cheap looking wooden cross around her neck that's on like a a little, uh, I don't know, plastic string, something like that. Then while the priest sings, her sister-in-law walks around the church with her for some reason, and it's done. Andre does says does say that he is proud of his wife for becoming uh, Orthodox for him, and they all leave the church. I did notice that Elizabeth makes the sign of the cross backwards as she's leaving, which was just kind of funny to me. So like later, this group goes to a celebratory dinner. And right away, Andre's brother and sister-in-law are on her case about how she's not wearing the cross anymore. And she's like, well, I didn't know that I had to wear it all day. You didn't tell me that. Which is fair. Like, no one said you have to wear this cross all day. They're all making it this big ordeal, how it's like some magical amulet to ward off the devil that the priest gave to her. And how dare she not be still wearing it? Meanwhile, I don't see a single cross on any of their goddamn necks. So I'm just going to say that. They make it all Libby's fault, of course, and they say, Andre says, just goes to show you that I have to tell you everything. Now, this sister-in-law, I liked her before. I don't know if she's drunk or what. She's just being a total B in the scene, like going off on Libby about how she doesn't behave like a real wife. She's going off on Andre too, but it's making, it's like mostly she's making it about Libby. She's saying a good wife should follow her husband and you should have asked Andre whether or not you should wear it. And is like, this is all about your independence again. And she's like, no, it's not about me wanting to be independent. It's about how you don't communicate with me. Yes, Libby, I am on your side. Sister-in-law, I don't know, she had a few beers or something. And she's going on about how Andre needs to act like a quote-unquote real man. And how in a Moldovan family, the woman is the neck of the family, at home taking care of the family, and the man is the head. Andre, translating this to Libby, once again, intentionally mistranslates it to be that the woman is the neck and the man is the head. But what that means is the man is the brains of the operation. So Libby kind of rolls her eyes. She's pissed off. And Libby's like, I was raised to be an independent woman. I wasn't raised on this, you know, 1950s Betty Draper kind of image. This is just how I want to be. And she says it was Andre's idea to be the homestay dad while I went to work. So I don't know where this is all coming from. That's where we leave it this week. I decided I wanted to do something which is to crown the winner of the episode and the loser of the episode. So it was tough this week um, because Tanya and Sinjin were pretty mild, whatever. But I will say that the winner of this week for me is Libby despite her laziness, despite her dependence on her father, which I think was orchestrated by him, I think she has a really good head on her shoulders. I think she is able to stand up for herself. I think she's in a shitty marriage, and I just felt very sorry for her. And at the same time, I was proud of her for standing up to herself for herself to Andre and to his family when she needed to. And I just hope things get better from her, for her. I... Once again, cannot say enough about how great I think she is for learning Romanian and just trying really hard to keep the peace with Andrea's family to make everyone accept one another on in her family and his, which is certainly not an easy task. As for the loser of this week, it should be no surprise. I think the loser is Colt. He's lucky that Paul wasn't on this week, you know, Colt, he's just so gross with bringing up Sex with his mother for no reason. He's gaslighting everybody around him. He just sucks. I don't like him. I don't want to see him on TV anymore. TLC, please make it stop. So yeah, that's where we leave it. Uh family Libby gets to Moldova next week. Her father is wearing a USA hat, which should surprise nobody. I'm sure Paul and Karini will be back. And I think Colt wears a bathing suit. So yeah, I'll see you all next week. Bye.